0: You are listening to the Australian Breastfeeding Podcast, where everyday girls let you in on their breastfeeding journeys. And I will unpack all things breastfeeding. I'm your host, Susie Prout, a midwife and lactation consultant. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Australian Breastfeeding Podcast. I'm so excited to have my new guest with me today. I've got Eliza here from Bump and Bub, so the Instagram is... B-U-M-P-N-B-U-B. And Eliza is a registered midwife in Australia and Hong Kong. She currently lives in Hong Kong at the moment. And she's also a perinatal mental health specialist. So with the Bump and Bub, it's a fantastic Instagram community where there's education, there's support for pregnant mums and um, new mums, little bubs, and there's a blog as well. So it really is an area that you can... Just gain heaps of insight around your pregnancy and beyond, and one of the other reasons I really wanted to have Eliza on the podcast was because, as much as this is a breastfeeding podcast and we always touch on breastfeeding in every episode, we also have a lot of mental health that comes with becoming a mother and. Breastfeeding and mental health can sometimes go hand in hand and I have a lot of clients who we not only talk about their breastfeeding problems, but we also touch on how they're feeling and how breastfeeding has changed them and lots and lots of other things. So I'm really excited to have Eliza here. And I think that what we're going to be able to achieve today is to help you all, not only with your main concerns surrounding breastfeeding, but with also your main concerns surrounding your mental health. So thank you, Eliza, for jumping on the podcast with me today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I've been a long-time listener and, yeah, very, very excited to be here. I think it's an incredible resource for all new parents. Um, And, yeah, hopefully we can share some really cool insights into all things midwifery and pregnancy and breastfeeding and mental health.
0: Awesome. Okay, so we both put on our Instagrams what the followers wanted, so we put a question box there and we've had some questions which we're going to go into as well. But I thought... To get started, why don't you let the listeners know, why did you become a midwife and what drew you to this profession?
1: Okay, so I went to a Steiner school growing up. So Steiner school is um, kind of a different philosophy of education in Australia. And when we were in year six or so, so we were very young, we actually had to take the time um, as one of our classes to learn about our birth story and about our mum's pregnancy and all that basically whole encompassing thing. And I found it so, so, so fascinating. I was breech and I was talking to my mom and we were just, I was so young and so impressionable, but she um, kind of sat down with me and explained so much about her own pregnancy. And I just remember thinking at the time I was obviously quite young and naive. And I just remember thinking, Oh my goodness, you know, in my head, love could make a baby, you know, that was a mom and a dad who loved each other could create this human Mm. together and what there's nothing more beautiful in the world than that. So, I became absolutely fascinated and was sure I either wanted to be a mum or be a midwife. That was my only thing that I would think about when I was younger. Um, so, then when I was about 14 or so, 13, 14, um, a family friend was having her third little boy. And it was at a very, very low risk small country hospital where I grew up. And she invited me to come along for the birth of her little boy, Jacob. And I did. And um, now being a midwife, I understand this is not how commonly births go, but I was with her laboring for about half an hour on the drive there. She walked in and had her baby within 20 minutes and walked out four hours later. And I just remember being like, wow, this is so easy and magical and amazing. And she breastfed straight off the bat, no issues. But it was her third baby and she was quite an experienced mum. Yeah. And so that kind of yeah, really set the tone. And I was absolutely obsessed with the whole of just everything, just from conception to pregnancy, labour and birth to breastfeeding. I was so amazed by it all. And even now, many, many years on, I'm still just as in love with it as I was when I was very, very young.
0: Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I think um lots of all us midwives say that even if you've seen like your first birth or you've seen like your 2029 birth it's still like the most yeah. amazing thing when that baby comes out we're still like how yeah. did that actually happen like how
1: yeah did this baby come <laughs> out
0: again because as soon as it comes out you're like well it couldn't go back in it's just incredible the whole process
1: it truly truly is absolutely yeah,
0: yeah. and then did you so you became a midwife in Australia and then yeah. when did you go into mental health
1: so I did. I was very young when I went to uni. I was 17 when I finished school and, went and started studying midwifery. So I was definitely one of the youngest people in my class. And I remember I would walk into birthing rooms and mums would look at me like, oh my God, are you the one delivering my baby? You're a child. Um, but yeah, so I was studying when I was 17. I lived in Sydney. I went to UTS uh, and did my bachelor's there and absolutely loved it. Um, and I worked in a high-risk hospital, both for my student training and in my postgraduate. And with the high risk i think came a lot of women who were suffering from perinatal mental health conditions so a mental health condition either in pregnancy or postnatally and as a midwife and as a young midwife i didn't feel equipped with the knowledge that i had to actually support these women who were coming who were coming to me and i might be the first person ever that they told you know how terrible they were feeling or that they were having you know suicidal thoughts or things like that and i remember Thinking, if I'm the first port of call for a lot of these women, it is 100% my responsibility to be better educated and better informed to ultimately help these women and these families to the best of my ability. So I worked for two years. Was it two years? I worked for two years as a midwife and then decided to, on the side, I still worked full time as a midwife, study um, a postgraduate degree of perinatal mental health. So it was very, very interesting. Um, I'm definitely someone that kind of takes things home with me, so I don't think that I could do it full-time, but it's certainly given me so much knowledge and so much insight. And I think that we as health professionals don't speak about mental health conditions as much as we should. And Statistically, we know one in five women in Australia will experience a postnatal or perinatal mental health condition. So it's something that I try and bring light to all the time on Bump and Bub, on my own platform and my website, and as much as I can in person as well, because the more we can do to normalise it and take the stigma away and the more access that women essentially have to the healthcare options that they need.
0: Yeah, no, awesome. That's um, when you were saying that you felt ill-equipped, I think there's so many midwives, you never think that's going to be something that you have to talk about and then next minute you become a midwife yeah. and there's so much of that. So, yeah, totally, totally agree. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so when we went to ask all our questions for our followers, Mm. We got a lot of questions surrounding the most common, what are the most common breastfeeding issues? What should I be looking out for? What am I likely to be concerned about when I have my baby? Um, Do you want to touch on, and then I will as well, touch on what you think the most common breastfeeding issues are out there? Mm
1: -hmm. So I guess um, from my perspective as a midwife, I don't see women, obviously you see women, a lot of women, when they have breastfeeding issues and troubles, but I think from my perspective as a midwife is that, With all due respect, there is a lack of education around breastfeeding and what is normal. Um, And I think that that's a huge, huge barrier um, in successful breastfeeding rates and successful breastfeeding journeys. I think that a lot of the time, people, um, mums and dads and families, really, really focus on the birth and the labor and how they're going to cope with that, but they don't really think about the postnatal period and how that's going to look, what that's going to look like, how their breastfeeding journey is going to look like. Focusing on breastfeeding education, what is normal for a baby, what's normal for a newborn and how each day it can change for the first few weeks. Um, And I think that that can be a really, really big issue um, because when a baby, for example, on day three is feeding, 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 you know, this physiological process to help bring a mum's milk in from a, a maybe a parent that hasn't done the education um, behind it would definitely think that, you know, something's wrong. My baby's not getting enough. I'm not producing enough milk. And I see so many women doubt their abilities from day two or day three postnatal. And that kind of leads into their breastfeeding journey. So I think the best thing that women can do is education antenatally around what to expect. Um, and if issues do arise, what to look for, how to look out for them and where to go for help. And there's so many people that, have never heard of a lactation consultant. Um, So I think, yeah, basically my first thing would be antenatal education, if you can, um, and having access to really good resources and support so that if something does go wrong, there is someone to turn to rather than giving up on breastfeeding.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that having that antenatal education, even if all it does is makes you realise exactly what breastfeeding is all about, because a lot of people will say to me, "I thought that breastfeeding would just happen because it's natural and mm. it's primal, and isn't my baby just meant to know, or aren't I just meant to know what to do? And yes, probably you know in the cavemen days when that's everyone saw everyone breastfeeding, you were brought up and and your auntie was breastfeeding, and this person was a wet nurse, and you it was second nature. But now, I mean, I think of myself when I first had my first son, if i was if I took the midwife part of me out of everything, I'd never seen anyone breastfeeding growing up I'd never seen what it looked like and so it's not yes well it is primal in a a sense it's also now become as we've evolved it's become a learned behavior and so just like we're learning how to give birth and how to um, have a successful birth we need to also learn how to breastfeed and learn what is natural and what is supply and demand and what is breastfeeding actually look like because it looks very different to feeding your baby four hourly like you know someone might have said you know someone across the road might have said to you you know so I completely agree that it is educating us on what it actually is going to look like um do you agree yeah, with that? Yeah.
1: I totally agree with that. And I think also on that front is that it's a learned skill for not just you, but for your baby as well. And I think that's something that mums also don't realize is that maybe you've got the hang of it now and you know how to attach baby and things, but it's also normal for baby to need to learn these things. Yes, yeah. baby does have a natural sucking reflex, but to get a really good attachment can take some time and some effort. And even though you might have it, per- you think you've got it down perfect on day two, day three, there might be some troubles and knowing that, you know, it's a constant learning game
0: yeah no, absolutely. And I think you've got to give yourself six weeks. Six weeks seems to be this magic number, and I always say to my clients if you can, if you really want to breastfeed, don't think about the next year because you'll feel quite overwhelmed if you think, I have to breastfeed for twelve months. This is I can't even do one day. But if you just yeah. think about six weeks as your goal and if and anything yeah. other than that is a bonus, often yeah. most of, well, most of my clients when they get to six weeks, We'll be like, oh, okay, I can keep going. I can get to three months. So I can get to six yeah. months when my baby's on solids and it gets easier and easier. So six weeks is not a, a scary thing to look at where sometimes saying, oh, the World Health Organization says two years. I think many girls will like run away. Yeah, hide. and getting overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Mm, totally. Yeah. So I think the most common breastfeeding issues then that we would see would be, is my baby getting enough milk? Um, how do I know I have enough milk? How do I know it's transferring out? And there's many different ways we can teach about low supply and we can teach that. So what we need to look at is we need to see that having a low supply can look like a baby who is frequently feeding. It can look like a baby who is unsettled all the time it can look like a baby who comes off the breast and isn't satisfied. But it also might not be that. Your baby might be unsettled for many other reasons. Your baby might come off the breast and be unsettled for a reason other than hunger. So a lot of the time girls look at low supply and they'll think of one thing their baby does, like wanting to cluster feed in the evenings, and automatically think that means low supply. But it doesn't. There's many different things. And the only things that we can say for sure with regards to supply is your baby's weight. And not only your baby's weight, but your baby's percentile and where they sit on their weight percentile. So uh, if they were born on the 50th percentile, are they continuing on that or are they dropping to the 40th and then the 30th and then the 10th? And then we need to look at something. We also need to look at wheezes and poos as well. But yes. weight is the gold standard, certainly not frequency and the time on the breast as well.
1: Yeah, no, totally agree with that. It's probably one of the most common questions that I get as well. And that, yeah, exactly. I don't know if my baby's getting enough food. And the answer, would you? I'm not sure if you would agree, but predominantly is yes, your body is providing exactly what your, ba- your baby needs. Obviously, there are, can be issues, but for the majority of women, healthy women, healthy babies, your body is producing enough milk for your baby.
0: Yes, absolutely, and I just had a consult this morning with a pregnant mum and I was teaching her about this and we were going over that your body is made for this. This is what we're made to do. And if we have a yeah. low supply, it's usually because we have made that low supply by giving a bottle top up but then not expressing. So when yeah. so we are feeding less, so we are making less. But in terms yeah. of our bodies, at the beginning our bodies are ready to make that milk and they should be able to make that milk yes there are some very small amounts of women who have something called insufficient glandular tissues so and not enough milk making tissue in their breasts but that can be over diagnosed I think quite a lot when maybe it's not that and maybe it's that we just haven't emptied and breastfed enough in those early days
1: yeah totally agree
0: yeah All right. So what I'm going to go on to is a little bit about postnatal mental health. So I get a lot of questions from mums to say, what does it look like when my mental health is declining? A lot of girls will say to me that they don't feel depressed, but they have other symptoms like anxiety and overwhelming fatigue and things. And so can you just talk a little bit about what it looks like when maybe our mental health is not very stable after birth?
1: Yeah. So this is something that I am quite passionate about talking about. And I think in recent years, we have started talking a bit more about postnatal depression. For example, I think it's when people think of postnatal mental health conditions, they generally think of depression. What happens though, when we do that, is that exactly what you're saying now. So people who don't fit into that category of postnatal depression, then often don't get the help that they need because it's not spoken about all these other issues like. Postnatal anxiety, postnatal or perinatal anxiety, perinatal OCD is a big one that I didn't realize until I started studying perinatal mental health. Postnatal psychosis, birth trauma, and PTSD surrounding birth trauma, Um, and NICU stay for a baby, and PTSD around NICU, and. There are so many different ways in which our mental health can be affected postnatally and not fitting into a box that perhaps is, you know, a checklist on the internet somewhere or a checklist by a GP that doesn't quite understand perinatal mental health. It can be really, really damaging because I think the biggest identifiable emotion and factor for women experiencing perinatal mental health conditions is a feeling of loneliness generally and a feeling of not being heard or understood properly. So I think it's so important that every health professional, and I really wish that in midwifery we had more kind of in-depth learning about this, is that there is just so many things that can happen to the body from hormones to trauma to um, just not connecting with your baby and that every one of those things is completely okay for a mom to be feeling, but it's not normal and we want to be able to help and no woman should ever be denied, you know, optimal care because her healthcare professional doesn't know how to facilitate that. So I think yeah, just having these conversations about these topics with other health professionals, but also with mums, and saying that there is no emotion that you're feeling that someone hasn't felt before, and that kind of remembering there's this beautiful picture that I've seen on Instagram a few times, which is a mum breastfeeding at night, um, and all the lights in the whole city are off, and she's breastfeeding, and her light is on, and she's crying at the same time, and she's obviously got some kind of perinatal mental health condition and she's saying like I've never felt more alone in my life and then the next image is another woman you know two blocks away from her alone and and thinking about that research which is one in five women we all know five women who have had babies um, and knowing that one in five women will or has experienced you know some kind of mental health condition is both scary and comforting in a way because there is resources out there and you will get better and you're never ever ever alone
0: yeah, yeah yeah i um i really like how you say that it's it's scary and comforting at the same time because so many girls feel like no one will understand they they don't want to mention it to anyone and to know that this is going on for so many women out there yeah and you can have access to so much support if you just speak up isn't it
1: yeah, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. and I always say if you don't think that you're able to speak up and you're not able to get the help that you need for yourself because sometimes, unfortunately, it does mean fighting for yourself a little bit and, then, you know, if that GP that maybe you go to doesn't know where to turn to, don't give up there. So if you can speak to your partner and you can speak to a loved one and trusted one and tell them how you're feeling and have them vouch for you and have them help you in that situation, if you are feeling vulnerable and not like you're able to kind of fight for your own mental health at that point in time, I think that can be really, really super important. And yeah, and just remembering that there is a huge amount of resources out there. I think another big, big barrier to not getting the support you need is guilt. Loneliness and guilt are probably the two biggest things that I see. And that's, you know, women feeling, I guess they kind of go hand in hand. It's the guilt of, I mustn't be a good mother if I'm not bonding with my baby, if I'm not feeling how everyone else seems to be feeling, um, or even having scary thoughts that do come with depression and, um, and psychosis you know, there's a lot of stigma and a lot of fear, of course, around women who feel like they either may or want to harm themselves or their baby. And I think that's, it is a very scary topic, but it is a topic that so many women do feel and they do think about, and they god forbid don't want to tell anyone because of the judgment or the perceived judgment because they've never heard someone say that but in this in perinatal mental health that's something that was the biggest eye-opener is that so many women feel these things and don't get help for themselves because they're so fearful of the judgment that they could receive because they do feel like they're the only ones in the world that could be going through that
0: yeah Mm -hmm. no absolutely and we, I'm going to get go on to some, like, signs of mental health. So I've spoken about this before on the podcast, so most of my followers probably know about my postnatal anxiety that I had after my second. And what's really interesting is I always thought if I, I was fine after my first baby, you know, and that I thought would be the hardest transition from having no kids to having one, and um, he was the hardest birth and he was the hardest baby, um, and I was completely fine after yeah. him, and then I had my second And I developed postnatal anxiety a couple of months on. And then when I had my third, I was completely fine again. So with me and my situation, firstly, it's important to note for mums, if you have had a first baby and you start feeling not right with a second, it can happen. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It can happen again and then it won't happen again with your other baby. Or just because it hasn't happened with the first, it can happen with the second. Just because you haven't had mental health issues in the past, for your kids it doesn't mean you're not going to have them and for me with anxiety it took me a long time to go to the doctor because I thought you had to be depressed so I just had in my mind there was some you know postnatal depression everyone talks about and I've never felt depressed in my life Um, but I was really anxious about looking after my kids I didn't want to take them out and for me one of my biggest things is I'm a really social person and I thrive off going out and seeing my friends and you know, getting out and about, but I yeah, yeah. was too scared to take my boys out in the car. I have no idea why. And now looking back, you know, you wonder what your thoughts were, but that's just what mental health is. I, I couldn't get out of the house. And I think that was the, when I went to the doctor and I was like, well, I haven't been out in, in two weeks. And for me, I'll go out every day. Um, you know, there's alarm bells. And so what I wanted to ask you was, what are the main signs? And there's lots of different signs. And what are, Are there um, that girls need to kind of just look out for when they're not?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you just brought up. And that is um, you didn't know exactly because we talk about postnatal, don't talk about these other signs, symptoms. So I guess going back to what we were talking about in the beginning with breastfeeding is that antenatal education is key. I think education is just the most pivotal and most important part of parenthood that I can possibly stress. And if you are aware of these postnatal mental health conditions and your partner is also aware... And you go into parenthood, and something arises. Whether it's exactly that postnatal anxiety, you're feeling like you can't get out of the house, and that's not normal for you. Even if you can't register it yourself, because maybe you're, you know, you're too involved in what's happening, and it's it's hard for you to be an external um, person to look in on and say, okay, something's not right here. At least your partner can also identify that and say, wait, mm-hmm. we did talk about this, and maybe something's not right here. And I think when there's a lack of education and when you aren't aware of all the things that could potentially happen you don't know what to look for and that's no one's fault at all it's just it's just it's just what it it is what it is and it's um such a barrier to getting help so I think the main thing is a education if you can and then b knowing what's normal for you and knowing what's normal for your partner I know we're talking a lot about postnatal depression and postnatal peri- perinatal mental health conditions for the mum. But dads also experience these um, at an alarming rate as well. Mm-hmm. So I think knowing what's normal for you and your partner and, and, you know, communicating that if you can have check-ins, you know, once a week where you do check in with each other, how are you feeling? How are you coping? You know, is anything off? Is anything strange? Um, and obviously if you notice any severe things in, in your partner, it's definitely worth speaking up about. I know that um, a lady that I... Um, actually, started my blog. I, I started my blog because I met a mum who had postnatal OCD. So very severe postnatal um, OCD, which was possibly accompanied with some kind of split personality. It was it was quite an intense um, period of her life. And when I met her, she she said. I've never heard of postnatal OCD, but when I had to wash my hands 30 times every day, you know, and then wash my bottles, baby's bottles 30 times, and I had to, you know, check on my baby 30 times every night, and I was having these crazy repetitive thoughts that I just thought I was going mad, but I'd Google it. None of that came up. It wasn't postnatal depression because I wasn't feeling depressed at the time, but it was odd behavior. And she knew it was odd, but there was no answers that she could get. So I guess having someone around you that can identify that as well as yourself and obviously checking in on yourself is really, really important. We all know that, you know, feeling like feeling like it's hard to get out of bed, and feeling like it's hard to get out of the house, and lack of hygiene and things are typical signs and symptoms of postnatal depression. But there are so other, so many others to look for, and I think postnatal psychosis is another really really interesting one. And I have a YouTube channel as well, and I popped up an interview with um, Sarah, a lady who beautiful lady who I met who had a postnatal psychosis and and she happily shared her story with me. And it was so interesting to hear from her perspective as well, what was happening. And when you have a postnatal psychosis, you more than likely can't identify that your own behavior is extremely abnormal because it's a very severe mental health condition. So, you know, her partner and her family essentially saved her life in that time because she was in a very, very bad way. So I think, yeah, speaking up, even if, even if you're a friend, there's many of my friends have had babies and a couple of them have certainly been suffering from a postnatal mental health condition. We'll, we'll be like, you know, I hope, you know, I hope they're okay. But if you can intervene and you can step up and you can support and offer education and support maybe to the mum or the partner, um, I think it's really important to do so.
0: Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, and going onto Google and, and Googling, say, postnatal depression and then doing a checklist it's really uh, easy to do, but it's probably not the best thing to do because, you know, a checklist can be made from anyone. I mean, at Google, anyone yeah. can go on and, and make something. And I think we don't want to do a checklist and then it says, oh, we're fine. And, You're fine. and, you, and you continue on. And, you know, so I think it's really important to recognise that there are trained professionals out there. And then, um, and I was talking to you before we pressed record and you were saying that you've got some kind of mental health organisations and um, resources that um, our Mm. followers could look into?
1: Yeah, 100%. So Beyond Blue is probably the biggest one that we know of um, in Australia and New Zealand. Um, Beyond Blue is amazing. I'm pretty sure they have a 24-hour hotline, which you can call. Um, And even if it's just, you know, the first time that you've ever said the words out loud, I'm not coping, if, even if it's just those first words and that's the barrier that gets broken down and, and, and helps you get access to the healthcare you need. It, it's amazing. You can call anonymously. You can literally have a conversation with someone trained in this area and you can feel that weight off your shoulders that, okay, you're not alone, okay. There's actually some, there's an organization here dedicated full time to helping people like me mm-hmm. and, and families like me. Another really good one is Panda, P-A-N-D-A, they are a really awesome resource. Again, they have phone lines that you can ring. They have incredible amounts of support on their website and resources. They do have checklists um, that are probably more adequate to just generalised Google ones um, about depression and anxiety um, and a bit, a bit of information on psychosis. So that's a really, really good resource if you are wanting to learn more or even if you're having these scary thoughts or symptoms and you're wanting to know, you know, what, why is this happening to me? They're another great resource. Um, another one is Black Dog Institute. They're also um, really wonderful if you just Google that. Um, And if you have a supportive and trusted GP or obstetrician or gynecologist or anyone that you can book into to see to tell them how you're feeling and how you maybe aren't coping so well, they can refer you onwards to um, someone who can help you, whether that be a psychologist, whether that be a psychiatrist. The the list is endless really for people who can help you. Um, And it's just about um, being brave enough if you can to get that access
0: yeah and i was talking to a gp the other day and she was saying if you're coming for your first time to talk to your gp about a mental health thing she said the best advice she could give is to let the if you can if you're confident enough let the receptionist know that it's mental health if you don't feel comfortable with that she said it's really good to book a double appointment here in australia because she said, if you're going for your first time, to just have that time then that they can really break everything down, explain everything to you in a way that needs to be done because one single appointment is not really enough time for a GP to... And this GP um, that I was chatting to at length about it said, you know, most GPs will just go over the time. Like, that's fine. They're not just going to kick you out of their consulting room when you've come in with this. But she said for them to know going in that this is a longer appointment, I know what this is going to be about, or I've had this flagged. They can just be more prepared to help you. um, Because it's a really big thing for a patient to go in for the first time and say something's wrong with me, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: 100%. yeah yeah absolutely. Yep,
1: that's
0: great advice. yeah um, and so the one other thing that I did have a question for and I think this is great for our pregnant followers is the baby blues that you get when you're day three um, mm-hmm. the hormone changes and everyone seems to cry a little bit on day three and feel a bit low what is the difference between that and then perinatal mental health issue that you would have after that
1: so I have a lot of really good resources and um, blogs up on my website at bumpandbub.com if you do want to have a look. Um, I think that as a midwife, um, it's almost textbook on that day three to four, you walk in and you know, the patients that you saw yesterday who were beaming with pride over their beautiful little baby are crying on the bed and it's almost like clockwork. And again, the antenatal education really helps that because to know that, you know, The day that your milk comes in and your hormones are firing like never before, your body's never experienced something like this. You're falling in love with a baby. You're exhausted. Your body has gone through so much, and now your milk's coming in. So for the first few days, you have colostrum and then the first milk, um, and then your milk comes in. And for that day three to four or up to day five, it can be incredibly emotional. And often you'll walk in and you'll you'll be chatting with a mom, and you'll say, you know, like what? Can you identify? You know, like what's happening? What's happening in your mind? What's what are you feeling? Why are you feeling so upset? And a lot of the time it's, I don't know, I'm just feeling overwhelmed and I'm just so overwhelmed with everything and how am I going to do this? And I said, so I think bringing it back to education, knowing that that's really normal for that 24 hour period or so. And of course it can extend over a little bit into that, you know, I can't stop crying. I'm just feeling so overwhelmed. You know, my baby's on me 24/7 because we know that's a physiological um, thing that happens to help bring your milk in. You know, how am I going to possibly survive with a baby on my breast 24 hours a day? So to kind of know that that's it's not the reality and that's that's quite a short reality um, is really important. And then I guess moving on is that your is that the baby blues um, can you know can last up up to a few weeks, but it's not like postnatal. I mean, it, it is hard. it is a really really hard one and it is a fine line. And I'm, and kind of to cover it, I do recommend that if you feel like maybe it isn't baby blues and maybe it is postnatal depression, I think always go for the safe it and try and get help and, and speak to someone and look at the resources out there because it's very hard to say, you know, what is postnatal depression versus what is baby blues? But baby blues do go away. Postnatal depression may not without help, yeah. without um, counseling, without medication potentially, without a plan. Baby blues is a lot of women experience it, and that's that general overwhelm. It's a huge hormonal. Uh, your hormones are going absolutely wild. If this is your first baby, you might be experiencing some sleep deprivation for the first time. You might feel exhausted. Um, but, yeah, just having that conversation and talking to your partner and talking to your loved ones about how you're feeling so that they can also help to measure, okay, is this getting better now? Is it kind of you know wearing off and it is the, your hormones are kind of settling down a bit, or is this actually getting worse and it's something that really needs to be looked at?
0: yeah no absolutely yeah i i completely agree um especially it, it's self-limiting isn't it it's a self-limiting yeah, the baby yeah. blues yeah absolutely yeah, exactly yeah totally yeah yeah all right um i've have got i'm just looking at my question i think we've got all of those i think we really um we've really gotten into the nitty-gritty of what it really feels like through mental health and, breastfeeding and um, the common issues. issues. <laughs> the, yeah, the yep. common issues that you're going to experience. So I think that's awesome. Do you have any other questions on your sheet that the girls wanted to know?
1: I do. So I also popped a little question and answers box up and breastfeeding is a very hot topic of course. And for pregnant women and breastfeeding women alike. Um, So I think we've covered a lot of the questions, but there was some who, for example, whenever someone reaches out to me with a breastfeeding issue, I always, always, always recommend that they see a lactation consultant. Um, And at the moment with everything happening in the world, it may not be possible to see one in person. Um, And so a lot of them were asking about how does a digital lactation consultant work. Um, And yeah, Could you run us through that process?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's quite a new age thing. And I started doing digital consults purely because I moved to Jakarta. I was running private lactation consultancy here in Perth in person. And then I moved to Jakarta and I had lots of Australian clients saying, can you please support me with my second baby, my third baby? And so I thought, well, how can I work this? And I, um, decided to try, it was definitely a trial period, try in in digital consulting. And now with COVID, digital consulting is becoming a second nature. So what it is, is it is a video video call and we cover, I was really concerned when I first started because I didn't know if it was going to be the same as having an in-person consult. And look, it's never going to be exactly the same. But the concerns that most people have is surrounding milk supply. And we can just as easily go through milk supply on a digital consult or an in-person one. I do lots and lots of education with pregnant mums, so I can easily do that with my doll and my baby on the computer. Lots of advice on uh, introducing a bottle, bottle refusal, weaning, going back to work, um, mastitis, um, block ducts, thrush, anything like that you can talk through. The only thing that unfortunately is a bit of a downfall is if I have a client who has a newborn and she's having attachment problems, we can certainly try and we can certainly aim the camera towards the breast. And often that's enough, but there are times and I've said to my clients, I can try, but I, if I feel that I need to be there with you, I just won't charge you this appointment. And then I can refer you on to someone to have an in-person consult because I feel sometimes you really actually need to be right there being able to see exactly what's going on but if yeah, I was yeah, to yeah. say what you know if you couldn't have an in-person but you needed someone you needed something then even having a digital appointment for a newborn is better than nothing it's that support
1: percent. Um,
0: and I feel like if girls are going to see a lactation consultant digitally or they're not definitely see one um digitally and um there's always time, there's always girls that I'll say to them, why don't you go and feed your baby, you know, in two hours time with the new um, program, and the new guy that I've shown you of how to feed your baby and take a video with and then send it to me. And so lots of girls will take videos all the time, send it to me, I have a look at the attachment, I'm going to try this, They send it to me. So we certainly get there. And I've had heaps of girls say, you know, I'm surprised how, you know, how well it worked.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah
0: absolutely
1: and even yeah. just having that support having a cheerleader kind of in your yes. breastfeeding journey is yeah. so so amazing and awesome and just
0: yeah just someone be able to be able to say yes that's normal that's normal newborn behavior yeah. i think 99 percent <laughs> of my job is yep yeah, that's just what babies do yeah.
1: <laughs> you're doing well baby's doing yeah. well you're both yeah both yeah. nailing it
0: exactly absolutely. now eliza if girls want to find you they can go to bump and bub on instagram and what is your website address
1: so it's just bump and bub, bump, so B-U-M-P-N-B-U-B.com. So I've got lots of blogs. Um, I share mum's stories, birth stories. I actually shared yours. Yes. Um, <laughs> love sharing women's birth stories as well because, like I said, I think it's so important for everyone to know that you're never alone in what you experience. We've definitely seen everything before. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so you can find me there or on Instagram or on YouTube.
0: Oh, awesome. I'll, um, I'll put all of Eliza's details down in the notes um, so you can find all of her information down there and I'll look at a few blogs and I will add some of the specific blog addresses as well that will um, work well with this episode. So thank you so much, Eliza. Thanks for chatting with me on a Friday afternoon.
1: No, you are so welcome. It's been lovely to chat. And so, yeah, thank you so much. I've, obviously, I've learned so much from you as well over the last year or so. so. It's been amazing.
0: Oh, awesome. All right. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really hope you got something out of it and at the very least made you feel not so alone in your breastfeeding journey. Share it with a friend who you feel may benefit from it or leave a review on your podcast streaming app. The more this podcast is shared and reviewed, the more women can benefit from this because we need to talk about breastfeeding more. Bye for now.